ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Richard Hawks. He's the author of Navigate the Swirl and the founder of Growth River, an international consultancy that guides leaders and teams to create higher performance in business and organizations. Hi, Richard. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. In the introduction of your book, you ask readers if they've ever found themselves feeling the gap between their efforts and what they want to achieve, the business of right now blocking progress toward the future. And you call this absorbing state of organizational inertia, the swirl. It felt really familiar to me that being stuck in the quicksand of every day, is the swirl a pervasive phenomenon? Yeah. You know, I didn't create the term, the swirl. I simply noticed that people were naturally using it to describe this kind of absorbing state of inertia Mm. and it's everywhere. Is it an internally driven phenomenon or an external one? It's both. It's not something you can solve alone because it's a group phenomenon. I think that's important. It's not just that I am failing to organize my life and my time. It's that all of us are failing collectively together to to do that. You you start your book with a discussion of language and you note that it's foundational and you spend a lot of time explaining terms and defining ideas. Why is that? Well, teams, businesses, organizations, companies are social systems. Social systems evolve at the speed of conversations. And to have the right conversations, to even be able to see the problem, you need to have the right language. Oh, that's so interesting. I love that. I love the whole idea that it's conversation that frames how we go through the world and how we organize things. And so the first thing you explore is the concept of organization. I start with the place that companies are social systems, not machines. This is a way of thinking about organizations. When you think about an organization as a machine, then managers or leaders are engineers and everyone else is a machine part. And it causes two really fundamental problems. First is as speed increases, you start increasing innovation, you try to implement agile, any of these kinds of accelerations, management, the decision makers, the managers become overwhelmed. They become a bottleneck. The second thing that happens is if you treat someone like a machine part, you put them in a really awkward position when it comes to change, because the only thing they can do is resist in order to gain respect. Explain that. Unpack that a little bit for me. What do you mean? Years ago, I got asked to help negotiate between a union and a major airline management. Mm -hmm. And the union leader at that point basically said, look, when Whenever they propose something, we're going to say no immediately because the only power we have in the system is the power to block, not the power to promote. Oh, interesting. And you think that that goes beyond a union situation? I think it's just a general behavior. If you don't trust your leader, you don't trust that they're in a conversation with you. They're really actively listening to your needs and they're responding to your needs. You need some mechanism to wake them up and make sure that they do. Huh. So are all organizations in all industries, are they all social systems. This is a really foundational, fundamental way we need to think about them. I find that you can get away in the early stages of a company. Let's say it's you know a, a command and control, a directive leadership situation. You're just trying to nail and scale a single business model. Mm-hmm. You can get away for a period of time thinking of, with thinking of an organization as a machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
you know, the moment you have an, an established organization, it's not like leaders can, you know, they can dream about letting go their entire team and going out and hiring a team, but I've never seen that actually happen. <laughs> I well, mean, this is, this is very true. I, I mean, sometimes you have management consultants, those bright, shiny people coming in and saying, well, this is really how you should be organized. And this is how these different roles should work. And you think, great, but these are the people we have, and these are their skill sets and their skill sets actually don't necessarily track to the ideal. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, I've been working with top teams for about 30 years now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you really kind of lean into what it means to be a senior leader in an organization, it isn't as if you have these these clear compartmentalized things. It's not like you have strategy over here and structure over here and people over here and they're somehow separate. They're all connected, right? You you have confidence in the strategies that are supported by those who you trust. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. execute, right? So so it's all it's all deeply interconnected and you have to solve all of those dimensions at the same time. And thinking about it as a social system really is helpful because it puts you in a place where you start to think, huh, how do I lead the social system? How do I evolve it? How do I get people to choose in? How do I create a two-way conversation? Right. Well, I think it really does. It's a it's a mindset shift, and it goes to your point about definitions and how language frames how we think about something. I am curious. How do you feel about the term human resources? <laughs> I mean, I just had to ask, right? I mean, well, yeah. No, I think it's I think it's it's a really interesting. There there are a number of terms like like that, right? These terms. They're fine as long as you understand what they're not saying. What they're not communicating is the kind of relationship that you want to have with people. The most effective leaders at leading change that I've worked with will use a term like human resources. And then there's always the sentence that follows it, that lets the audience know that I'm using this term, but I am focused on the, the human connection. part rather than the resources yeah, exactly. part. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Or businesses are ripe with many, many terms that are like that, that are sort of objectify people. Right. And it's it's the words that wrap around it that help you navigate that. Well, okay. So in addition to specific terms, you talk about metaphors and how important they are. Why do you think this is the case? That people not only have to be mindful of the definitions of the language, but why are the metaphors so important? So, so first of all, the way we define a problem leads us to how we solve a problem. So if I define the problem as a machine that needs to be fixed, then people become parts that are either broken or not broken. And if they're broken, they're swapped out, right? So it leads me to an entire mindset and set of of solutions when I frame it that way. So the book includes a number of ways of framing the problem of how to lead and grow and scale an organization all the way through how to align people and roles and teams in an organization towards an abstract concept like competitive advantage. Right. And it lay and and the language in it is 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 really kind of if you use these ways of thinking about it, you're going to set up the challenges and the communications and the problems in such a way that they can actually be solved together in relationship with other people. So alignment in the social system is so important for efficient achievement of progress. And you explain that leaders, in order to be able to achieve alignment, need to be capable of breaking down complex issues into the key choice points. What, what are some of these moments so that if you're a leader, 
how can you see them? There's sort of two things going on here. One, you could look at choice points through the lens of you know, how do I frame decisions, almost an analytical lens, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of one way to think about it. But you can also look at choice points as breakthrough experiences. You also move into the raison d'etre of a business and you write that the business exists for a purpose. This purpose is to create value for customers. And I found this really interesting because there's been a recent trend around finding a business's why and the why is at the center and rating out then the how and the what. And sometimes that why can be very lofty and sometimes the customer doesn't really show up in the why. And I've talked to some leaders who are struggling a bit with how to square it. How do you bring the customer back in and still have this big idea? How do you do that? How do you manage that tension? A couple of core ideas that you're bringing together. But let me set up a business and then go to your question. So business, it's a social system. And in that system, there are different roles that have different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And people tend to play from their perspective. And the challenge is really how can they play full out from their perspective for the good of the whole, aligning together. That's that's kind of this core challenge. Right. So if you really dig into it, you go anywhere in the world and you ask the people in develop in capabilities or delivery capabilities about people in sell, and they'll say, they'll sell anything they don't even care if we can produce it. They're just so focused on revenue. And if you- <laughs> I have heard ask, that. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And if you, ask, if you ask the people on the sell side and the deliver side about the develop side, they said they're lost in their models. They're disconnected from reality. It's just all about possibility, not mm-hmm. practicality. And then on the deliver side, everyone's always saying, you know, they're inflexible. They're just focused on scalability, quality, right? So each of those lenses, and there are other lenses, each of those roles sees the customer through their role, mm-hmm. right? Right, Because they have a goal. They kind of take aspects of what we call the customer and apply it. Hmm. So the, the challenge is you have these multi, these are multi-stakeholder systems, right? With all of these roles intersecting with each other. So the challenge of focusing on the customer is a challenge of, think of it as a bullseye, right? And in the center of the bullseye is what we need to hold up as our shared focus. That focus could be the journey we're on together. That focus could be how we define our customer. That focus could, you know, could be a number of things. What are the constraints in our organization? There are a number of things we hold in this kind of shared space. And each of us is looking at it through our role. And you know, it's like a, a diamond, like it, it's got different facets where each of us is looking at a different dimension of it based mm-hmm. on our perspective. So to answer your question, it's a different answer depending on what your role is. But what you're trying to do is be in a relationship with the customer and you're wanting to create optimal value for the customer. The fundamental challenge is the challenge that you don't really know what creates value until it's validated by your customer. Right. 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 So you have to you have to be very aware of what your assumptions are and you have to find the fastest way to testing and validating those assumptions. And you have to constantly be prototyping, testing, evolving and moving forward. And once again, that's a conversation in the center. It's just you need to do it from your perspective of your role and you need to do it in partnership with the other people playing their roles. That's the equation everyone's trying to solve. Right. And there's been a certain amount of writing around recognizing and integrating and various ways to achieve this. And and certainly a lot of it, a lot of the value chain literature is, is really that mechanistic thing that you are arguing against. Now, there is a certain pleasing clarity to some of these approaches like Six Sigma. 
but you feel like they fall short. So what is it that they miss? Because in some regards, you could point to history and say, well, they've been successful. So what, how could they have been more successful? What are they missing out on? The question is, how do we enable everyone to play their role full out? How do we define our roles such that the people who are closest to where value is created and most informed around the decisions that create value are able to take those decisions? Right. It's the challenge of how do we move to a flat organization where you're really thinking through this lens of a system of roles, a system of capabilities, system of roles, system of strategies. Mm-hmm. It's a network worldview. So that's that's a difficult challenge. Mechanistic tools and structures are, are really powerful. They're just limited, right? Because they need to be adapted to the environment in which they are, in, in which they're they're used. And so sort of the missing lens is... There are a couple of missing lenses here. One is, is that organizations need to build and groups build their own language. They often will resist outside language. They need to adapt it for their own uses. It's part of their own learning journey. Mm-hmm. So you need to look at these tools through, through that, right? They get picked up, they get adapted. And there's a developmental perspective on these that is, that is, that is often missing. How do people actually learn these things? How do they actually turn into specific behaviors and mindsets and agreements between people? I had someone who once said to me, you know, a plan is only as good as the agreements it creates between people. Hmm. And these processes are only as powerful as the alignment that they create between people. Right. So it's expanding the thinking into relationships around the workflow that actually determines whether that workflow is going to be successful. Is that? That's Well, it's exactly right. And it's also recognizing that even the way that these challenges or these tools are presented has implications for how you're viewing the relationship with other people. So there's a, there's a, there's some stuff called appreciative inquiry, which you might be familiar with. And this uh, David Cooper writer was one of the writers around it. And all it really says is the way that you frame a question completely impacts the motivation people have to answer that question. And so give an example so that listeners can understand. Yeah. If I, if I, if I, if someone comes in and I say, you know, what's, please list all the things you think are wrong with our team. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It leaves people with a certain mindset. Right. But if you, if you ask the question instead that says, Hey, you know, what would you imagine as the ideal future state for our team? What would you imagine is the best thing you could think of? It leads people to an entirely different relationship, particularly around trust. And, and so a lot of these tools and the, the mechanistic view, they're, they're tone deaf to the fact that there really are people interpreting these things. And the way in which they're presented has a, has a major impact on how people in, engage and the speed at which they're willing and able to move. Well, and going back to your earlier comment about resistance as power, I think that that a lot of these systems are so structured that people resist simply because they're they chafe. They don't feel involved. They don't feel integrated into them. So you developed a business triangle to visualize the business social system. Can you walk listeners through it so that they can imagine how that works? Well, I kept working with teams and I would, and literally, I mean, it's, it's amazing. I would ask the members of these teams and in some really well-known businesses, I'd ask them what a business is and they would all have different answers, which is kind of astounding, right? 
And what I noticed was that the people were defining what a business is. You know, there'd be large overlaps, but mostly through the perspective of the role that they play. You know, so, so this in some ways goes to your organization, the purpose question, right? It goes to the purpose question and it goes to recognizing that an organization is a system of roles. I see. And okay. that there are natural creative tensions between those roles. Right. That that come from the fact that when you play a role, you adopt the perspective of that role. I and and thank goodness it works that way. I mean, we we want a judge, if we're going to be in a trial, to adopt the perspective of a judge. We don't want them coming with another perspective. People right. are very good at playing roles. We know, we all know what a, you know, we have we have a general idea of what a good parent looks like. <laughs> mm. Or you know, or spouse or right. These, these, so we're really wired to think in terms of roles, but when we're given a role, it has a, a, a profound impact on what we, the language we use, what we see, what we hear and, and the nature of the relationships that we have with, with others. And that's really the, this idea. So back to the, I, I completely knocked you off course. You were describing the the business triangle. How if we're visualizing that and I see a triangle in my mind, how does how do the pieces come together? Well it's absolutely connected to that. So I was I was noticing that that the these senior leadership teams in particular were everyone was describing their business through a different lens. And so I really started to try to experiment with can I get a definition that everybody agrees mm-hmm. not only clarifies where they sit within a business, the role that they play and the perspective that they play, but also the value stream or the information flow that they have with their colleagues and how to visualize that. And that led to, to visualizing a business as a system of capabilities and roles that develop, sell, deliver and support products and services for target customers in a way that creates competitive advantage. And if you think about develop, sell, and deliver, those are the core capabilities. Those are all the capabilities that actually create your customer experience. Mm -hmm. And then you have support capabilities that cut across those that create economies of scale. It's incredibly powerful because what what it does is it enables any team or any individual to be able to to, to recognize a number of things. One, where do they play? But on top of that, it allows you to, to, to see things like how you would even define a system of roles, an org structure, or a system of capabilities in a way that no one can block things. Nobody can, can get away with unhealthy power dynamics. So an example would be, you know, imagine someone's a business leader and you know you have two, you have two or three businesses in a company, and one of the business leader has all of the IT resources reporting to them. What's wrong with that picture? Oh, I see. Right. The way you're rewarded for selling, the the job that you have to do is very different than the way in which you're rewarded for delivering. Mm -hmm. So the purpose of all the capabilities on the sell side are creating a perfect purchase moment, right? How do we do that, right? The roles of all the folks on on the develop side are designing winning products and services, right? Sales is really focused on closing the deal, whereas product development and all of that, they're really, really focused on creating a broader opportunity, maximum opportunity. These are completely different ways of thinking. And so if you put someone in charge of both sides, you can't hold them accountable. (laughs) Right. Because because they can always say, oh, I didn't sell because I was so busy doing development, or I can't create new products because I'm too busy selling and you never actually get it right. It's once again, how the role, what problem do they own? 
frames it. So this gives you a way to sort through all of that spaghetti. Right. Right. Interesting. And, and as you mentioned that the there are shared services that scale across, that's HR, legal, finance. Are those things bounding? Are they bucketed within each? Are they around each? How would you place those? Well, there's support services. So if you, you, you visualize this as a triangle, uh-huh. right? In the center of the triangle is the customer experience, actually the system of customers, which is right. a sort of a way to think about it. Then, then around that, you have develop, sell, deliver capabilities. They create the direct customer experience. And actually the speed at which a business develops, sells, and delivers is the speed at which it grows. So oh, okay. growing okay. and scaling a company is fundamentally about identifying and resolving primary constraints in that core flow mm-hmm. and aligning the social system so they actually get solved, right? right? And then the support functions, they're the ones that play across all the businesses and all the capabilities in an enterprise. Mm-hmm. Those are finance, HR, IT. There, there are a number of these, these support functions. And their job, when you really break it down, their job is to create economies of scale. They're offloading leadership things and, and to mitigate risk. And so it allows you to really, if you can... If I'm going to sit down and define a team's purpose, the business triangle and this way of thinking allows me to really quickly write a purpose statement, not an aspirational one, more of a of an operational purpose statement. Right. But what right. value stream? What specific things am I responsible for? What puzzle piece am I responsible for in our team relative to all the other teams? And then you can see that very quickly it creates kind of a way for the teams to then begin to negotiate with each other, kind of boundary decisions, who would right. own what decision. And it becomes a blueprint for distributing leadership and scaling companies in a way that, that really cleans up a lot of the, the potential for unhealthy power dynamics. Because in the end, it's really rare that you run into to, to bad players or you know really bad actors. It's usually people's roles have been set up in a way that it's leading to the behaviors that everyone's objecting to. It's usually the system, not the people. Right. That's interesting. And so for our last last question to close on, I, I want to back up a bit and talk about time because we started by talking about, I can't get things done. I'm in this swirl of stuff. <laughs> and you talk about two concepts of time and I thought they were great and I'm interested to have, I would like you to describe what they are, but also how you operationalize those two concepts of time? How do you put it into practice? So the two concepts of time are, are, are Kronos and Kairos. So, so Kronos is, and back actually, they are two, two different Greek gods for time, if you go way back. And so- <laughs> Very, very deep idea. Very, yeah, yeah. Very so so, so Kronos, Kronos is, 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 is time as- you know, increments that just, you know, you're, you, you think in terms of 10 minutes on this, five minutes on that. It's sort of time as a, as a finite resource that you need to allocate mm-hmm. across everything that you're doing. And Kairos is time as a journey. It's you know, the, the Greek view is it's the hero's journey, but basically it's saying, you know, time doesn't really work that way. There's there are all these lulls and then there are breakthroughs. And if we can be very together and aware of what those breakthroughs are, what's the next summit on the journey? What actually is a breakthrough? Then we can only go as fast as those breakthroughs. So an example would be 
this idea of event horizons is sort of a Kairos idea. There are lots of things that happen in organizations that you cannot plan beyond. I can't, you know, a new, I'm going to have a new leader come in to my organization. I can't tell you what the organization is going to look like after the new leader gets there. Mm-hmm. The leadership challenge on the front of an event horizon is getting everybody to just focus on creating the event horizon and not worry, not expend all that worry and energy, worrying about what's going to happen on the other side of it, or even preparing for it. Hmm. So what happens is, is that when we introduce these two concepts of time to leaders and to teams is, is they often realize there's, they're, they're cutting everything up into little chunks. And so what happens is, is they'll say, all right, we're so busy. We're only going to give 15 minutes to the following topic. Someone comes in and they present it, they're done. And then they kind of check it off their list, but they haven't actually really put it in context. You know, where does it actually fit from a Kairos perspective? Did we actually spend enough time on it? Is it really part of our shared journey? So when you do the opposite, you design meetings around Kairos. You start by saying, what are the breakthroughs we need to have? In what order? And we can't go any faster than that. And most developmental journeys work like that, right? Mm. If people don't have trust, they don't have a milestone which says we've chosen to trust each other, then there are certain conversations that are impossible. They only can happen on the other side of that breakthrough. I see. Right. So trying to go faster than that breakthrough is a, is actually a complete waste of time. And so these, these two concepts enable teams to really have a conversation around how they structure meetings, how they relate, what progress actually looks like. And, and, you know, and how do we begin to frame things through a journey context? Right, right. And so as a leader, you have to, you have to be in balance with these two things. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if, if you're too focused on the one or too focused on the other, you, you can't just be in the clouds thinking of the big picture. You need to actually get the things done or else nothing happens. And you can't spend all your day tasking away or else you never have that vision of where you're headed. I think that's exactly right. And what's important is to be in a relationship with your colleagues where you're actually asking what is needed right now right. to maintain that balance. But you're right. If it's all Kronos, you end up with stagnation and you just go off a cliff because you're never solving things at the right depth. Right. If it's all Kairos, you can get, you can go off into wishful thinking and you can also stagnate. So right. it really is finding a balance between those two. This has been great. Thank you so much. The podcast webpage will have a click to purchase link for the book, which obviously then dives into how you operationalize all of this stuff. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I really enjoyed your questions. I very much appreciate the informed, curious place that you come from. And and it's just a pleasure. So thank you so much. My pleasure. We've reached the end of another episode Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our open. And of course, all of you, the members of our audience, thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.